Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in multiple locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information on our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Yo, what's up, friends and fam? Good to see you guys this morning. I don't know if you're college football team won yesterday, but we were in the throes of, of college football. And uh, I got one of my degrees from uh, Liberty University. And, uh, okay. Um, and, and Liberty uh, played BYU yesterday, right? Baptist versus the Mormons. And, uh, and it was awesome. Liberty won as they should have. And uh, so I did a lot of yelling and cheering and screaming at the TV. So hope your day was as good as, as yours. I don't know where you're tuning in online, but wherever football is a thing for you and, and whoever you pull for, I hope it was a good day uh, yesterday. But, you know, there's something interesting about really good college football teams. I guess really good football teams in general um, they're, they're led by, by coaches uh, that even if they struggle in the first half, uh, a good coach knows how to take a halftime and do the right things, say the right things, make the right moves on the team so that the team in the second half uh, can come out and, and actually win. Like it doesn't even matter how much you're down in the first half. A good coach makes adjustments, uh, takes players out, puts new players in, does whatever they have to do uh, to come out and, and figure out what to do to actually win the game. I mean, you've, you've heard the saying, it ain't over till the fat lady sings. It, it's, it's literally, you can be losing the whole game and pull it together at the end. And as long as you're up when the final whistle blows, then, then you win. You walk off field. Doesn't matter how ugly the first half of the game uh, was. And, and for the last five weeks, we've looked at the first half of, of Samson's life. And, and I gotta be honest with you, it's been ugly, right? Five major character flaws that totally derailed his, his life. And, and in Judges chapter 16, where we're gonna land the plane today in the final week of the Samson series, um, we see uh, Samson's halftime moment. We see the point where he has lost everything. I mean, I mean, imagine if it were a game setting, the first half of Samson's life, he has thrown every interception, lost every fumble, uh, like had players kicked out of the game. Like, I mean, it's as bad of a first half as you could possibly imagine, that is how Samson's life was. And it even bleeds into uh, Judges 16, the, the final chapter of Samson's story in this text, in the famous story of, of Samson and, and Delilah. And so I want you to imagine that, that there's this moment that we're going into in, in this chapter that's really going to be a defining moment for Samson's life. It's going to determine whether his life is just going to be a complete mess and ruined in every area or if he's going to have a moment of redemption that God's going to actually do something with it. And, and, and today, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about the anatomy of a failure. Um, Samson, uh, just like you and I, failed in many areas of his life. And I've noticed something about failure. Uh, I've failed enough and have seen people fail enough. Samson is failing very publicly right in front of us. And I've noticed this about, about failure. When, when we tend to fail in our lives, uh, we lose sight of God's plan and his purpose for us. And oftentimes we make the same mistakes. We take the same steps on this path 
to failure. And so I want to talk about that because there are some of you in the room that are on the path of failure right now. And if we don't identify that and learn from Samson's life, then you're going to end up in the same place that Samson ends up, losing absolutely everything in his life. And in, in, Samson, in Judges chapter 16, we read the last chapter of his life, and in, and in verse 1, let me unpack this for you. One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn, We'll kill him. We can wait until the morning. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and he took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts that they were on and he tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders. That's a flex move, you know, just carrying it above his head so everybody can see it. And he carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now, Gaza was a capital city for the Philistines and that's important because if you look at a map, we're told where Samson is. And Gaza is actually the furthest away from Samson's hometown that he can be while still being in Philistine territory. Meaning he is further away from where God wants him to be. He's the absolute furthest, in fact, that he could possibly go from where God has called him to be. Uh, Samson, again, it's the same story. He finds himself at the wrong place, at the wrong time, with absolutely the wrong people. But somehow, uh, Samson figures out in the first half of his life how to stay in the game, right? Somehow, it just feels like it's blow after blow after blow, but Samson figures out how to, to stay afloat. See, the scriptures say that Samson, he's got a reputation now. Remember, he killed a thousand Philistines. He's a wanted man. But for some reason, he thinks it's a good idea to go to Gaza, which is a capital city of the Philistines. His picture is going to be on posters all over town, talking about how wanted he is. And he comes to this city anyway, and so word begins to spread. Samson is here. He's in that house right there. And so all the government officials, all of the military decide, hey, we're going to wait, and we're going to capture him and, and kill him. But here's why they waited. Here's why they didn't just storm into the room that night. Uh, because archaeologists tell us that Gaza was a city that had a wall around it. In some places, the wall was over 60 feet tall. And there was only one door to get in and out of the city. They locked it every night for safety purposes. And so they thought, we got him. There's no way he can get out. He's Samson, not Spider-Man. He's not going to climb up that 60-foot wall. It's not going to happen. And those doors, archaeologists tell us that they're made of stone and metal, and each door weighed over 1,000 pounds apiece. There's no chance this guy is getting away. And so they kind of take it easy and say, hey, man, we're just going to wake up in the morning, and as soon as he comes out of the house, there's nowhere he can go. We've got him, and, and we can, can kill him. But they forgot who they were messing with. They're, they're talking about Samson here, the guy with incredible strength. So Samson, the Bible tells us that Samson gets up at midnight, and he walks out of the house, and he just walks up to the gate and takes these doors and the Bible says the door, the knob, the hinge, the lock, all of it, he just jerks it right off of the entrance. And then scripture says he, he takes both doors and just lifts him overhead and he walks out of the city. Now the distance is 37 miles from the entrance of Gaza all the way to the hill at Hebron. He carries doors that weigh thousands of pounds, 37 miles just to, to stick it in their eye. 
Now, don't act like you're not impressed by that because the majority of you can't even get all your groceries in the house in one trip. Like it takes you two trips to get from your car to your kitchen if you have more than one gallon of milk and a big thing of toilet paper. So don't act like this is not a big deal that Samson is doing this. He's showing off in front of these people. But here's the deal. Samson wasn't scared. Why would he be? Yeah, they got him completely surrounded. But Samson always gets out of it. He's always found a way to do it. He has gotten himself out of trouble so many times and maybe probably Samson sat there and thought, I'll just do it again. I'll get myself out again. I'll bail myself out again. And the anatomy of a failure, listen, you are on the path to failure if you start to think what Samson did. Here's the first thing. We begin to think, I can get away with it. If you're taking notes, jot that down. I, I, I don't know where you are on this path today, but I've been here before where I was convinced Whatever I'm doing, I can get away with. I'm not going to get caught. I've done this for so long. Never been caught before. Why would I pay the consequence now? That's what Samson was. He's like, I've been tricked and, and, and duped, and people have tried to pin me with my back against the wall so many times. I just flex, and I always get out of it, so I can get out of it again. And sometimes our path to failure begins with this idea that no one will ever catch me. I'm getting away with it. And as long as I can get away with it, then, then I'll be completely okay. Let me just give you a reminder. Failure in your life very, very, ha- very rarely happens suddenly. The failures that we experience in our lives are actually a result of subtle, small, ongoing decisions that we make over a series and a period of time. That was Samson. For years, he convinced himself that he wouldn't get caught, that he would be always all right, that he could get himself out of any situation, but... This is the story where things change. Verse four says, sometimes later he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Listen to this. Each one of us will give you, Delilah, 1,100 shekels of silver. It's interesting that Delilah is the first woman in Samson's story that actually has a name. All of the other women have titles. His first wife was the woman of Timnah. Then we are introduced to Samson's mother, no name. Then his first wife had a sister that his father-in-law tried to hook him up with. Remember, it was just the Timnite's sister. And then we have the prostitute, the lady right here in Gaza in in verse 1. But now, all of a sudden, we meet a gal by the name of Delilah. Now, Delilah, I think it's significant that we know her name. Nothing's by accident in Scripture because Delilah actually means soft to the touch and delicate. See, these men knew exactly what type of gal Samson really loved, the ones that were soft to the touch, the ones that were beautiful and, and delicate. So these men used this woman to get what they wanted from Samson. And on top of that, we learned they're going to pay this one. Delilah didn't even like Samson, wasn't interested in Samson. We come to find out Delilah might be the very first gold digger in all of the Bible. Because the only reason she went to Samson is because these men said, we will each pay you silver. She's a silver digger, right? Before there was gold, there was silver. So Delilah just is in it to get what she wants. Samson's interested in Delilah just to get what he wants. And the people that hate both of them are in it just to get what they want. But that's what happens for us. We lose sight of what God's plan is for us and we begin to chase the things that we actually want in our lives. So in verse six, the plan starts to unfold. So Delilah said to Samson, 
Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. And Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I will become as weak as any other man. I don't know if you caught that or not. I don't know if that verse seems weird to you or not. But the second step in the path to failure, number one, we begin to think that we can get away with it. But number two, we begin to ignore all of the red flags. Heads up, fellas. If you ever meet a girl and she comes up to you and says, Boy, I'd really like to know a way that I could tie you up. Might not be the girl you want to get involved with. We read this and we're just like, really, Samson? Like, Samson's telling me, hey, mom and dad, I met this girl today. Well, tell me about her, Samson. Well, she's soft and delicate and is always talking about she wanting to tie me up, right? <laughs> yeah, you back up, right? whoa, not good. That would be a red flag in my book. I can't think of a good reason why someone would want to tie you up. Like nobody comes up to you and says, hey, you mind if I tie you up and throw you in the back of a trunk just for fun? And you're like, yeah, absolutely, let's do it. No, you would run from that. A normal person with common sense would say, probably don't want to get tied up. But it's interesting when we lose sight of God's purpose for our lives and we're on the path to failure, we'll begin to lose our common sense and get laser focused on just what we want. There was one thing on Samson's mind, and he couldn't see anything else. And that's the way we get. Sometimes we get dialed into what we want or how we want it or when we want it to happen. And despite all of the red flags around us, all of our friends saying, you don't want to do that. You don't want to go down that path. Any of our positive influences stepping in and say, hey, man, there's kind of something I'm hearing something or I'm seeing something in your life that's worrying me. Despite all of the red flags, we look at him like, nah, man, it's probably just like she's probably into Girl Scouts and into knot tying and stuff. And so like, it's no big deal. I like this girl. It's awesome. Samson completely ignored all of the red flags. It's interesting because many times in our lives, God actually gives us red flags as a sign of his grace to keep us from making the wrong choices. Like it's red flags that, that he says, hey, well, you don't want to go down that road. You don't want to go down that path. That leads to shame and regret and pain and remorse. You don't, that takes you further away from the plan that I have for us. But man, if we don't have the right people around us, if we're not in tune with the way that God speaks to us, we will ignore all of the red flags. And no matter how obvious the writing on the wall is, like we read this and think, Samson, you're crazy, man. This girl wants to tie you up and kill you. It's clear for us, but it's interesting how often we find ourselves in those same situations where our family and friends and others are looking into our lives and saying, you don't want to do this. But we look at it through rose-colored glasses. Oh, it'll be okay. No, it's great. It's fine. Don't ignore the red flags. It's the second step in making this huge mistake that Samson made. Verse 8 says, Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had never been dried, and she tied them up with them, with men hidden in the room. Like the guys that are going to arrest Samson are behind the curtains in, in the bedroom of the house. With, with these men that are hidden in the room, she called them, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me, Samson. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. Another red flag. He said, if anyone ties me securely with new rope, 
new rope that has never been used. It'll become as, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the rope off of his arms as if they were threads. Strike one. I want to tie you up, Samson. Tell me how to tie you up. He tells her and she tries it and it doesn't work. Strike two. Samson, I really want to tie you up. And he ties him up and it doesn't work. Like you would think eventually somebody's got to get the point here. Like, Samson, don't be an idiot, okay? Like, she's proven that she's going to do this to you. She's not, it's not play games, Tom. It's not like I would just want to know just in theory. Like, she's actually trying to ruin down your life. He's walking down this path, taking another step and another step. And then finally, he takes another step in his path to failure in verse 13. Delilah then said to Samson, all this time, you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, if you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with that pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with the pin. Again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. Did you catch that? Did you catch what Samson said there? He noticed them. He included one word that shows us the third step in his journey, the anatomy of a failure. Here's what Samson did. Uh, he tries to get as close to the edge as he can. That's what you and I'll do. On our way to failure, we will get as close as we can to the edge without stepping over. We want to get as close to the fire as we can without getting burned. Did you notice the, the word that Samson used? For the first time, he said, my hair. Now, he didn't tell her the whole truth. He just got as close to the line as he could without saying it. He made the nod to her that the power is actually found because I have this long hair. Now, he made up some other story, but that's the thing. Instead of staying as far away from it as possible, he tries to get as close to it as he can. And that'll be the difference between people in here that end up in failure and people in here that end up living the life that God called them to live. You see, you can live life one of two ways. You can either get, find out what the, the pitfalls are, what the, the, the anatomy of the failure is, and you can run in the opposite direction as fast and as hard as you can. Or you can look at what disobedience to God looks like and you can get as close as you can without touching it. In the Bible, Paul says it like this. When it comes to sexual immorality, he says, I want you to flee from it. Like, like I'm talking about flee. I'm talking about run as fast as your little legs will carry you in the opposite direction. Don't be around it. Don't talk to it. Don't wink at it. Don't, don't stand around it. Don't walk by it. Flee from it. That's the difference. See, Samson should have fleed, stay far away from where he was right now. But he said, instead, I'm, I'm going to tease it out a little bit. I'm going to say something about my hair and see if she can, she can get it. Well, he mentions his hair, uh, so he, he gets as close as he can without telling her that doesn't work. And in verse 15, it says, then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Now listen to verse 15, 16. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. Man, Delilah's really pouring it on right now. And, you know, she's, she's like, you don't even love me. How can you say you love me? I thought you said you love me. I thought you said we don't keep secrets from each other. 
I thought we were going we were going to share everything together. Like she's pouring, she's working it hard right here for Samson. And in verse sixteen, the Bible says that she nagged him so bad, day after day after day after day, that it finally broke him. He got tired of her nagging. That's the moment where Samson should have realized, hey, my mom told me not to marry a wife like this, and now I'm paying the consequences for it. Uh, King Solomon says this in, in, in Proverbs 21.9. He says, it's better for a man to sleep on the roof than to be in the house and have a bedroom with a nagging wife. I didn't say that. That was the Bible. <laughs> Just six chapters later in, in Proverbs 27, it says, the voice of a nagging wife is just like the dropping of water coming from a leaky roof. She wore him down. Day after day, tell me, nagging him to death to the point where he was just like, I can't, I can't handle it anymore. I cannot handle you talking about this anymore. I cannot handle you asking me anymore. And, and he comes down to her. The fourth thing I want you to realize is eventually on the path of failure, life will wear you down. You'll get worn down by life. Uh, the saying is, it's, it's the, the straw that broke the camel's back. And eventually someone will say something, someone will do something, and, and you've got so much pressure, you've been tempted so much, like you're so far into it that eventually you just fall over the edge, like you can't handle anymore, you can't bear the weight of it anymore, and Samson fell, like he, he stumbled, he, he messed up here. And in, in verse 17, we see, he just finally tells her, he says, she, he, so he told her everything, he's like, man, woman, I'm just tired of hearing your voice, like stop nagging me. I can't believe I married this woman. He said this, no razor has ever been used on my head because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, he's like, she, he's being for real this time. Like he's honest. She went and sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. And then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. This might be the saddest verse in all of Samson's story. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and I'll shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He went down the path. Oh, I'll never get caught. Never get caught. I've always done it myself. I'll just jump up and do everything the same way. But he had gotten too close to the edge and fallen over. He broke down and told her life had worn him down. The relationship had worn him down. He put his guard down, and, and here he is, asleep on her lap. She calls the Philistines in. They give him a really bad haircut. He wakes up, tries to break free, but this time, God does not empower Samson. In fact, he says his power had left him, and he did not even realize that God had left. You remember the Nazarite vow that he took? There's three parts of it. You, you, you don't eat anything that's fruit, no wine, no grape, no grape Kool-Aid, no grape chewing gum, none of that. Uh, number two, you're not around anything that's dead. Uh, he had already broken that vow. The only part that was left was he still hadn't shaved his head. 
And I think it's amazing in this story that even though Samson had made two big mistakes and already kind of rubbed his, his nose in God's face, God was still faithful. And God still said, as long as you keep that final one, then I'm, I've still got your back. There's still an opportunity for you to repent. There's still an opportunity for you to come back to me, Samson. But when that final vow had been broken, God ultimately handed Samson over to what he really wanted. He said, you want your life without me? You want to go do your own thing? Then I'll take a step back and let you do it. And that was the moment that Samson realized that God had let him do what he had always wanted to do. Here's the next thing I want you to remember. Uh, Man, on our path to failure, you got to understand that it always catches up with you. It always does. Some of you are on the path and you're convinced that like you're going to get away scot-free and that no one is ever going to find out. And like, it's good, man. I'm not going to catch up. I'm telling you, eventually it will catch up with you. You will be found out. It will get exposed. And there'll be a moment where you realize that you're extremely vulnerable over something that you thought you had hidden so well. It's the path to failure. I've seen it hundreds of times. And here we see it living out right here in Samson. Listen to, listen to verse 21. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they sent him to grinding grain in the prison. One verse shows you how much Samson had lost. Here's what he lost. Number one, he lost his control. They seized him. He lost total control of his life. He doesn't even get to go where he wants to go anymore. They grabbed him and subdued him, and there was nothing that he could do about it. They gouged out his eyes. Samson lost his vision. Not only did he lose control of his life, he lost the vision for his future. God had a plan for him the whole time, but because of his failure, Samson lost that future that God had given him the opportunity to lead. Scripture says that then they take him down off the hill to Gaza, down to Gaza. He loses his position in life. He used to be a man of influence He used to be a man of power and of title, and now they've taken him down. God has allowed his life to be kicked down a notch because of his disobedience. Uh, They locked him in handcuffs. He loses his freedom. Can I tell you that that thing that you're chasing will eventually take your freedom, even though you think it's the thing that'll lead to your freedom? It handcuffed Samson. He couldn't even move his hands. And then finally, it stripped him of his status. They took him all the way down to grind grain at the bottom of the prison. Interesting that the Philistines worshipped the god Dagon, which was the god of grain. Samson was forced to work for a foreign god because he turned his back on the one true god that elevated him to a position of leadership. It will take everything from you. You will lose it all just like Samson did. We can learn from wisdom or we can learn from experience. My hope is that you would learn from like wisdom from God's word today instead of you having to go down every single point that Samson did and be left losing everything like he did. Everybody in this room is going to learn. And the, the goal of this series was we can either learn from other people's mistakes or you can make the mistakes and learn the hard way. I'm begging you, don't get to this point where you lose everything because you turned your back on God. This seems so tragic, rock bottom for Samson. And God puts something interesting in verse 22 that ends up being the halftime of Samson's life. I mean, it's been terrible up until this point. He has messed up every opportunity that he's had. 
but it's halftime. And he's got an opportunity to change something because in verse 22 it says this, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. That's powerful. You see, the hair for Samson was not where his power was found. The hair was a symbol of God's dedication and the commitment that he had with Samson. And even though Samson's actions led to his head being completely shaven and losing everything that God had promised him, God allowed his hair to begin to grow back. It was a wink from God that said, even though you've messed up, I'm still here. Even though you think you've derailed your life, my grace is sufficient. Even though you have hit rock bottom, I will not leave you. And too many times in my life, I've walked away from God and left him, only to turn around and realize that he had never left me that his grace was still there. Now the consequences of my actions were there for me to carry. And I believe sometimes that God actually allows us to feel the weight of our mistakes as an opportunity for us to turn and come back to him. It's a beautiful story of repentance that God would allow Samson's hair to grow back as a way to say, Samson, I know you have royally messed this up but there's still a chance at redemption. There's still an opportunity for you to turn your life around and for it to bring glory and honor to God. There's still a chance for you to find and walk in your purpose. But Samson's hair grew back. There's a lot of buts in the Bible. That's one of the best buts right there. So true that God's grace was still there that God's forgiveness was still there, that the opportunity for Samson was still gonna be there. Even though, Samson, you broke your promise to me, I will not break my promise to you. In verse 23, he says, now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate saying, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were still in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I might lean against them. Now the the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. This is a huge party. In verse 28, then Samson prayed to the Lord. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just one more time and let me get one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. I read that. And I think Satan begins to whisper in my ear as I read that. And at his lowest point, Samson had done a lot of bad things. Samson prays. (laughs) Sometimes when I'm at that point in my life, the enemy will whisper to me, for real? You gonna pray? After all you've done? After all your mistakes? 
Nathan, there's a 0% chance God is getting ready to listen to you. Do you understand how far you have come? Do you understand how much you have let him down? You understand it was one strike, two strike, three strikes. Man, you're out, Nathan. What, what's the use to pray? Because Satan doesn't want us at our time of need to call out to God. But Samson, despite all he had done, begins to cry out to God. Because he knows his relationship with God is not based on Samson's faithfulness to God, but on God's faithfulness to him. And there's three things. If you want to turn your life around, Samson does it right here. He, he totally wrecked his life, but he responded in three ways that will mark his life forever. And I see it right there in verse 26. We see brokenness. If you've identified yourself on any of those paths where you're, you're going, it's the anatomy of a failure, man. You are, go, you are running in the opposite direction as fast as you can. Samson's first response was brokenness. Verse 26 said, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, well, you want to talk about being at rock bottom? This man that carried 1,000-pound doors above his head for 37 miles up a hill now can't even walk into a room without bumping into a chair. The Bible says a, a little boy had to grab his hand and say, come in this way, Samson. Uh, come this way, Samson. You don't want, duck your head a little bit, Samson. I don't want you to hit your head on the, on the pile. Samson, watch out. Don't run into the wall. I mean, this guy is, is rock bottom. And in that moment of brokenness, when he can't even walk into a room without someone holding his hand and helping him and leading him, he understands something's got to change. There's a, a brokenness about Samson. God uses the negative consequences of his life to weigh him down, to draw him back to himself. In verse 28, there's humility. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. You know, it's the first time in Samson's story that he prayed. First time that he ever called out to God. First time that he looked at God and said, God, I need some help. Samson had to humble himself. Every other time, he Hulk Hogan ripped his shirt open and just handled it himself. But this time, he said, God, I can't. And he bowed his head and he said, Lord God, that's the, the covenant name with God. Lord is, or God is powerful. Lord is, I'm your servant. So for the first time in his life, Samson acknowledged that God was in control. God was sovereign. God was all power and all knowing and that he was not. The brokenness led to humility, which then ended in dependence. Here's what Samson said. Please, God, strengthen me just one more time. I'm totally reliant on you, totally dependent on you. I cannot do it by myself. I cannot fix my life. I cannot reconcile my relationship with God. God, I need your help. And it was in that moment that God turned the story around. Here's how the story closes. Then Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might. And down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed more, many more, when he died than when he lived. It's not too late. The Bible tells us that Samson accomplished more in the last 20 seconds of his life with God than he accomplished in the first 20 years of his life without God. The Bible tells us, he gives us that note. He said he, he killed many more in that one act than he did for his entire life. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that you can accomplish more in your life if you would just willingly submit your life to God and be faithful and obedient to him? Do you understand that God can do more in your life through a faithful, obedient heart than all of your skills and talents and giftings combined? That was Samson. That's the lesson. It took him his whole life to learn it, but it's a reminder that even if you live bad, you can finish well. I don't know what halftime looks like for you, but we're in the huddle right now. And you got a chance, man. You, you, the first half may be full of mistakes, full of regrets, full of shame and pain and remorse. But you have a savior in Jesus that in halftime steps in and said, I got a new plan. Instead of you doing it, why don't you let me do it? Instead of you relying on you, why don't you trust in my life, my death, my sacrifice and my resurrection so that the second half of your life can actually matter, can mean something, can accomplish what God has called you to do. Samson finally, through dependence and humility and brokenness, surrendered to God. Here's what I've learned about God's plan in my life. It's gonna happen. God is going to accomplish what he wants to in your life and through your life. The question is, is he gonna do it his way or the hard way? I want to surrender my life. Now, I wish Samson would have done what he did in the last chapter of his life, in the first chapter of his life, because he could have enjoyed the blessings from God. He, he could have avoided all of the heartache. Like, like God's saying, God, Nathan, you can either do it my way or the hard way. I want to bless you. I want to help you. I want your life to live of purpose and significance and, and enjoy what I have for you. But if you don't want to do that, if you want to chase whatever you want, instead of following my plan for you, you can do it. And in the end, hey, heads up, I, I've read the back of this book, God wins, he gets his way. And he can either get his way and you can be a part of it and we can join in with God and enjoy the blessings and the promises of God or we can run from God and deal with all of the heartache and the pain and the shame and God still gets his way, it's up to you. It's up to you. We either learn from wisdom or experience. The whole purpose of this series was to highlight all the problems of Samson so that we could look and say, I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to do that. I don't want to hurt like that. I don't want to lose like that. I don't want to have that shame and remorse and regret. I don't want to run in the opposite direction of God. So here's your chance. You see how it all works out. Now you know the end of the story. God wins. He uses each and every one of our lives to accomplish his glory here on earth. Now, do you want to be with him or do you want to be against him? That's the choice we have to make. And because of who Jesus is, we got the opportunity right now today to say, God, I, I, the, the first half, I wrecked it. Like, I'm, I get it. And I'm, I'm sitting here in halftime, beat up, messed up, hurting. And Jesus walks in and says, new game plan, new life through me. Forgiveness through me, grace through me, mercy through me. All you gotta do is believe. I hope you learned the lesson that regardless of what we do, God's will will be accomplished, that we don't get to decide that, that the decision that we have to make right now is between ourselves and Jesus. A life of pain and, and a life of blessing through God. Do you wanna go with God's plan or against it? That's your choice, make it today. Hey, would you pray with me as we close out the service? God, too many times I have chosen my way. Too many times I walked in the opposite direction and I paid the price and I got the wounds and the scars. 
and the trouble and the heartache and the pain. And God, I don't wanna do that anymore. I wanna know and believe that you have a plan for us, that through your son Jesus' sacrifice, we can experience new life, life to the fullest, a life of blessing, walking alongside of you as we see you using our lives in great ways to change the world. God, give us the wisdom and the discernment to know what to do with the words that we have just heard to learn from the wisdom of your word versus the hardship of our disobedience and experience. God, help us to take the next step right now. Pray and ask those things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Revo Podcast. We believe everyone has a next step to take in their relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information on what that means for you, or if you have any questions about today's message, please email us at info at discoverrevo.com.